The Perfume of the Rose by Flora Annie Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Perfume of the Rose. I think we ought to be going back to the others, said the girl. She was a pretty, fair English girl, fresh as a rose in her dainty pink muslin dress flounced as they wore them in the mutiny year in three full flounces to the waist like the corolla of a flower and the lace sunshade she held tilted over her shoulder as a protection against the slanting rays of the afternoon sun added to her rose likeness by its calyx of pale green lining ought we said the young englishman who walked beside her his hand clasping hers they were a good-looking pair pleasant to behold what a bore it is so jolly here the epithet was not happy save as an expression of the speaker's frame of mind for the garden into which these engaged lovers had wandered away from the gay party of english men and women who had taken possession of the marble summer-house in its centre for a picnic or as the natives call it a fool's dinner was something more than jolly it was beautiful this garden of a dead dynasty of kings past and gone like last year's roses but there were roses still and to spare within those high four-square walls that were hidden from each other by the burnished orange groves by the tall forest trees fringing the cross of white marble aqueducts bordered by white paths such blossoming trees the cachnar flinging its bare branches set thick with its geranium flowers against the creamy feathers waving among the dense dark foliage of the mangoes the bacayune drooping its long lilac tassels beside the great gold ones of the umultas and here and there its whole vitality lavished on a monstrous leaf or two a huge flower or two white curved solid as if cut in gold marble yet with a warm fragrance at its heart a hill magnolia challenged the scent of the roses below ineffectually at least here in this square of the garden for that cross of wide empty aqueducts divided it into squares and this one was a square of roses roses everywhere even in the lower level of what in the old kingly days had been a marble-edged waterway which now half filled with soil held more roses but they were all of one kind the pink persian rose whose outer petals pale in the sunlight whose rose of roses heart is full of an almost piercing perfume what wonder when it is the otto of roses rose it grew here for that set purpose in orderly lines its grey-green velvety leaves almost hidden by its profusion of flowers and the scent of them filled the whole square of garden where the air still warm from the past noon lay prisoned in that fringe of blossoming trees it seemed to fill the brain also with the quintessence of gladness beauty life and love so his arm sought her waist and their lips met but only for a second the next her blush matching her flounces she had drawn back and he with an angry frown was glaring in the direction of the notes which had interrupted them it was a high clear voice full of little trills and bubblings like a bird's and it sang on insistently 
as if to give those two time to recover from their confusion and as it sang the persian vowels seemed as piercingly sweet as the perfume into which they echoed the rosewood takes earth's kisses for its meat the rose-leaf makes its blush from the sun's heat the rose-scent wakes who knows from what thing sweet who knows the secret of the perfume of the rose as the song ended a head showed above the tufted bushes it was rather a fine head bare of covering its long grizzled hair parted in the middle lying in a smooth outward curve then sweeping in an equal inside curve between the ear and throat so much no more was to be seen above the roses save for a moment a long-fingered delicate brown hand hiding the face in its salam who the shaitan are you asked the young man fiercely in hindustani the head and hands met in a second salam then the face showed rather a fine face preternaturally grave but with a cunning comprehension in its gravity i am hushmut the essence-maker huzur was the reply i belong to the garden and being hidden from the noble people in my occupation of plucking roses for my still i sang to let them know the young englishman gave a half-embarrassed laugh what does he say asked the girl she had only been two months in india and these had been spent in falling in love he thought we might like to know he was there that's all a joke isn't it answered her lover she smiled and so holding each other's hands boldly they stood facing that head above the roses he nodded cheerfully the huzurs are doubtless about to marry persons came the voice it is not always so even with the huzurs but this being different if they require essences for the bridal let them come to husmut rose jasmine orange sandal lemongrass i make them all in their season yea even violet which the mems love it is not really banafsha huzur they grow not in the plains i make it from the babul blossom and none could tell the difference mayhap there is none since he who makes the perfume of the flowers in his still may send the same to many blossoms as i send my essences to many lovers even the noble people there was distinct raillery in the last words and the young englishman's smile vanished we people hold not with essences he said curtly adding to the girl come dear i think we ought to go back your father will be wanting to go home he has a lot of work i know a shuffle in the bushes made the lovers pause a curious shuffle such as a wounded bird makes in its efforts to escape if the most noble will tarry this slave will at least make the lack offering to the bride came the voice again and to point its meaning the delicate brown hand held up a circular shallow basket hipped with rose petals hipped so lightly that the hand held it level and it seemed to glide on the top of the bushes heralding the grizzled head which slid after it with a faintly undulating movement the cause of this became clear when the limit of the roses was reached who smoothed the essence-maker must have been a cripple from birth the loose blue cloth such as gardeners wear knotted round their loins like a petticoat hid however all deformity even when he clambered up the marble edge of the old waterway and shuffled with sidelong jerks along to the pink muslin flounces the wearer's eyes grew soft suddenly 
perhaps the mystery of such births came home to the woman who was so soon to be a wife perhaps a mother she gave him a mother's look anyhow the look of almost passionate pity a woman gives to a child's deformity perhaps he saw it anyhow he paused then with his bold black eyes twinkling held out the basket a handful huzur for luck he cried a rose ungathered is but a rose pluck it lover don't mind a thorn take it away in your bosom clothes and drink its beauty from night to morn the voice trilled and babbled quite decorously but the young englishman intercepted a deliberate wing and felt inclined to kick his mood to lower levels till he remembered that the girl could not understand take a handful he said and let's get rid of him the girl obeyed but by mere chance the little white hand with his ring on it did tuck the handful of pink rose leaves away in the loose pink ruffles of her breast whereat her smooth's approval became so unmistakable that the young englishman felt that the only thing was to escape from it yet as he hurried the girl back to the summer-house he turned to listen to the essence-maker's voice as he went on with his song and his rose-picking dig gardener deep till the earth lips cling tight prune gardener keep those blushes to the light then gardener sleep he brings the scent by night who knows the secret of the perfume of the rose there was nothing to be seen now but the stunted grey-green bushes half hidden in blossom even the head had disappeared they were a queer people thought the young man very difficult to understand then the refrain returned to him who knows the secret of the perfume of the rose Husmut? answered an older man who lounged smoking in one of the marble-fretted balconies in the dead king's pleasure-house ah yes he's quite a character a scoundrel i believe at least he knows all the worst lots in the city they come to the garden at night you see and the bazaar women get all their essences from him so i expect he knows at any rate of all the devilry that's going on i wish i did the speaker's face looked a trifle harassed is it true sir what they say asked another voice that husmut is really the king's son that his mother was a brahmin girl they kidnapped who cried herself to death in one of these rooms then when the child was a cripple the king by jove he was a brute disowned it is that about husmut asked the girl who had joined the group in time to hear the last words the men looked at each other and the older one said yes my dear they say he was deserted by his parents because he was a cripple rather rough on him now i think i'll go and get your mother to come home it's getting late you'll follow i suppose yes father with him she said with a rose blush so by degrees in couples as a rule but sometimes with a pale-faced child tucked into the carriage between father and mother the pleasure-seekers left the garden of dead kings to the scent of the roses left it cheerfully calling back to their friends times and places where they were to meet again as englishmen and women did on those fatal evenings in may eighteen fifty seven only the girl in her pink frock and her lover lingered while the dog-cart in which he was to drive her home waited under the blossoming trees and as they stood talking as lovers will who smoot the essence-maker thinking the coast was clear came shuffling down the scented shadow of the path for the sun had left the garden pushing his basket of rose-leaves before him dragging his crippledom behind him 
Do you think he would show us his still? said the girl suddenly. I've never seen one. Ask him, will you? Husmut's big, bold black eyes twinkled. Certainly the Miss Sahiba might see. There was no secret in his work. He took the scent as he found it, as wise men took love. Again there was that faint suspicion of raillery, only to be pardoned by the girl's ignorance, and also by a conviction that Husmut counted on that ignorance and meant the remark only for the young Englishman. And so, oddly, the latter became conscious of a distinct antagonism between himself and the crippled essence-maker. It was absurd, ludicrous, but it existed nevertheless. There was not much to see in those vaults under the plinth of the pleasure palace in which Husmud had set up his distillery. They were very low, very dark, the only light coming through the open door, and from the row of rose-shaped air-holes pierced at intervals in the plinth. Viewed from outside, these formed part of its raised and pierced marble decoration. From within, they looked quaint and flower-like, set as they were in the dim, shadowy vault, hidden here and there by the dampy columns, showing through the arches distantly, softly, brightly pink, for whose mood had pasted pink paper over them to keep out the bees and wasps, he explained, which otherwise, led by the scent of the flowers, came in troublesome numbers. The root still, like a huge cooking pot, stood in one corner, and all about it lay trays on trays of fading rose leaves. Pa, how sickly sweet! Let's get outside, said the young man after a brief glance around. But the girl stood looking curiously at a brownish-yellow mass piled beside the still. What is that? she asked. Husmut's black eyes turned to her comprehendingly. He shuffled to the pile and held out a sample for her to see. She bent to look at it. Rose leaves, she said. Oh, I see. After the sun has been taken out of them. Poor things. What a shame. Husmud said something rapidly in Hindustani, and the girl turned to her companion for explanation. He says, translated the latter, with a curiously grudging note in his voice, that they have their use. He dries them in the sun and burns them in the furnace of his still. She shook her head and smiled. That's poor compensation. Then she bent closer and sniffed regretfully at what Husmud held. All gone, she said, so like a child, that her lover laughed at her tenderly. What else did you expect, you goose? Only the actions of the just smell sweet and blossom in the dust. So come, we really must be off, it's getting late. He felt in his pocket and held out a bakshish to Husmud, but the latter shook his head, and once more said something rapidly in Hindustani. It had a note of petition in it, but the request was apparently not to the hearer's taste. That was to be seen from his face. "'What does he want?' asked the girl curiously. "'Nothing he is going to get,' replied her lover, moving off, the cheek of the man. But the pink muslin stood its ground. "'What is it?' she persisted. "'I want to know. He doesn't look to me as if he meant to be rude. And—and—' her face softened. If it is anything we can do, I'd like to do it. Tell me, please. The young fellow shrugged his shoulders impatiently. Oh, only foolery. He wants you to give him back some of the rose leaves he gave you, that he may put them in his new brew to, to make it sweeter, says the luck gift of a bride always does. The girl blushed and smiled all over. 
Well, why not? It is a pretty idea, anyhow. She drew out the handful of rose leaves as she spoke, then paused with a faint wonder, for the warmth of their shelter had made their perfume almost bewildering. How, how sweet they are, she murmured, then, still smiling, but with a blush faded almost to paleness, she dropped the rose leaves into the delicate, long-fingered hand. I hope it will be the sweetest essence you ever made she said with a laugh and whose mood seemed to understand for he smiled back and salaamed as he in his turn tucked the charm into his bosom for use when the still should be ready for closing and as he did so he said in his high suave voice may he who knows the secret of the rose protect the bride he said it without the least suspicion of reality simply as a dignified piece of courtesy a minute afterwards the wheels of that last dog-cart as it drove out of the garden disturbed the birds who had already begun to choose their resting-places for the night since they too looked for the usual rest and peace in that fatal maytime and for a space the peace the rest settled on the garden only Husmut's voice as he busied himself in packing the pink petals into his still told of any life in it beyond the birds the flowers the bees one of these belated drifted into the vault through the open door and hummed a background to the high trilling voice pale pale are the rose lips sweet red is the heart of the rose but red are the lips mine meet and your heart white as the snows then a faint almost noiseless patter of bare running feet paused at the door and someone looked in to say breathlessly it hath begun they say but who knows i am off to the city to see husmut looked up startled from his rose leaves startled nothing more begun so soon wherefore god knows came the breathless voice mayhap it is a lie some thought it would not come at all i will return and tell thee the news the faint almost noiseless patter of bare feet died away and there was peace and rest in the garden for another space only husmut shuffled to the door looked out curiously then shuffled back to his work for that must be finished before dark else the roses would spoil squandering their sweetness there was another pile of brownish-yellow residuum ready dried for the furnace and as he filled a basket with it his hands among the scentless stuff a sudden remembrance of his own impotence his own deprivation came to him perhaps he had seen a hint of the simile in the english girl's face he smiled half cynically and muttered only the dust of the rose remains for the perfume seller he posed almost before the bit of treasured wisdom was ended there was a sound of wheels of a galloping horse's feet someone was coming back to the garden the next instant through the open door he saw two figures running an englishman an english girl in a pink dress the man's arm was round her as he ran he looked back fearfully then seemed to whisper something in her ear and she gave answer back what was it her smooth knew by instinct he was thinking of the roof of the pleasure house of the winding stair that led to it down which it would at least be possible to fling a foe before the end came and she was thinking of the marble plinth below where when the end came a woman might find safety from men's hands in death so they came on through the growing shadows whose mood 
shuffled to the door and watched the figures calmly, indifferently, as they neared him, for the way to the winding stair lay up the steps which rose just beyond the low door of his distillery in the plinth. Perhaps the dusk hid him from those two, perhaps even in broad daylight they would not, in their fierce desire to reach not safety but resistance, have seen him. They did not, anyhow, but as they passed the door the girl's muslin flounce caught hard on its lintel hasp, and as in frantic haste she stooped to rip it free, the scent of those rose-leaves whose mood had given her, still lingering in the ruffles of her breast, seemed to pass straight back into those same rose-leaves in his own. That was all, nothing more, but it brought back his last words to her, May he who knows the secret of the rose protect the bride. Strange coincidence, since the chance of saving her had come to the speaker. The same instant, his long-fingered brown hand was on her white one as she tugged at her dress. This way, Huzur, he cried in a loud voice for the man to hear. There's a secret passage here. It leads to safety. Safety, that word, better than resistance, not to the man himself, but as sole guardian to the girl, arrested him in a second tempted him. He looked, hesitated, then dragged his charge on, dragged her from anything with a dark skin to it. But her white one, touching this dark one, found something in it to give confidence, or perhaps that fragrance from the still, which sends a like perfume to many blossoms, had passed from Husmut's breast to hers, as hers had to Husmut's. He knows who knows the secret of the perfume of the rose. Anyhow, she hung back, she called pitifully, clamorously, No, no, let us trust him, let us take the chance. There was no time for remonstrance. The next second they were in the cool, scented darkness of the vault, with those pink air-holes showing like shadowy roses among the low arches, the squat pillars. At the further end came Husmut's voice amid his shuffling, till the latter ceased in the rasping of a chain unhasped. Here, Huzur, it leads to the summer palace beyond the garden wall, so by the mango grove to the residency. May he who knows the secret of the perfume of the rose protect the bride. His voice sounded hollow in their ears as they ran down the vaulted passage which opened before them, lit at intervals by those cunning air-holes, hidden flowerfully in the scroll-work of one of the marble-edged aqueducts, and the closing door behind them blew a breath of the rose scent from the vault after the retreating figures. Two years had passed. Nine long months spent in keeping a foe at bay, three in following that spent and broken foe to the bitter end, and then a year of English skies and English faces to dull the memory of that long strain to mind and body. And then, once more, a young Englishman with a girl in a pink dress drove into that garden of dead kings. But the four-square wall was in ruins. It had been a rallying point of that spent and broken foe. The garden itself was neglected, the roses unpruned. And those two were changed also, and an ayah holding a baby remained in the hired carriage which they left waiting for them under the blossoming trees, as the dog-cart had waited that May evening two years before. "'I am afraid he must have thought us awfully ungrateful,' said the man regretfully. "'But it couldn't be helped at first. 
then afterwards one had to move on but i did write you know more than once about him after we got a grip on the place again so i hope they have done something they will have to now at any rate said the wearer of the pink dress firmly the sight of the garden changed neglected as it was had brought back the very picture of that grizzled head with the curved hair slipping through the rose bushes the delicate dark hand holding the tray of rose leaves as it slid over the bushes with its slack offering for the bride yes even if justice had been slow inevitably slow it should come now this very evening though she and her husband had only arrived in the station that morning they went to the rose square first but husmut was not there then seeing by the lack of blossom that the time for roses was not yet they went on to the orange grove there was no one there so doubtfully they passed to the jasmines to the lemongrass but no one was to be seen nothing was to be heard but the lazy yet insistent cry of someone scaring the birds from the pomegranates let us ask him he may know suggested the wearer of the pink dress so they called him and he came an old man wizened careworn yes he said he knew wherefore not when he had guarded fruit in that garden since he was a boy there was not much to guard now owing to past evil Husmut, the essence-maker Husmut was dead no one made essences any more how did he die very simply he had seen it with his own eyes when he was guarding fruit the huzurs had doubtless heard of the evil times even though as the coachman had told him they had just come from vilayet well it began quite suddenly one evening in may it was the peaches he was guarding then there had been a fool's dinner in the garden and afterwards a young sahib and a miss in a pink dress had come running in to take refuge from the troopers he had seen them but what could he do but Husmud had shown them the secret passage no doubt anyhow he had come out alone and closed the door and sat beside it singing when the troopers rode up and doubtless seeing that he was friends with all the bad walkers in the city through the selling of his essences they would have believed his tale that the young sahib had not passed that way but for a bit of the miss sahiba's dress which had caught in the door-hasp so they knew what he had done and being enraged had killed him there by the door it was quite simple quite so simple that those two said nothing only their hands sought each other as they turned back to the summer-house i should like to see the place again said the wearer of the pink dress in a hard even voice i wonder if the door is open it was for no one made essences now so they entered the still stood in the corner as before the pile of that strange fuel lay between it and the trays of rose leaves but there was no difference between them now both were yellow scentless and though the pink paper which husmut had pasted over the rose-shaped air-holes was all broken and torn by birds and winds and weather the bees did not drift in for there was no scent to lead them on none the winds of two long years had swept it away absolutely what else was to be expected yet a vague disappointment showed in the woman's face as it had in the girl's but this time the man's voice trembled as he answered her look with the words only the actions of the just smell sweet and blossom in the dust
End of The Perfume of the Rose